This is Enjoy on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. Best internet radio on the planet. We are back, KCWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bub School. My name is DJ Rome, and I am very excited about these next two guests. So, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, during the times of this pandemic, a lot of people in the mental health world and the education world and all types of disciplines have taken upon themselves to build some new resources that will meet this moment in time and kind of address the needs of the community as it stands right now. We're facing racism, we're facing brutality, we're facing a pandemic, we're facing a shortage of employment. All kinds of things are pressing down upon us right now, and there are varying degrees of access to support to meet this moment in time. And I have two guests here right now who are aspiring, and well, not aspiring, but they're, they're doing just that. And I'm here to have them share with us their very new platform that I am very excited to share with you this evening. It's called the And Now Collective. And one of these ladies has been here before and one is here for the very first time. So let me go to first our returning uh, champ. (laughs) She's a (laughs) co-founder and a clinical psychologist. She uh, bridges the the borders between Atlanta GA and uh, Oakland CA, (laughs) y'all. So measure that. Oh, but you can't take the West Coast out of the woman, even though the woman's out of the West Coast. But she knows that. <laughs> ask her what her preference is. She ain't going to hesitate. But uh, she is a clinical psychologist, and uh, she's been here before. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Dr. Dina Scott. Dr. Scott, are you there? I am here, and it is such a privilege and pleasure to be here again with you, Rome. Yes, it's been a minute. First time in 2020, right? It is the first time in 2020. Oh, well, fantastic. A lot has happened uh, this year, right? I mean, I've reached out to you a couple of times and you were just so busy. And I want to talk to you about what has that exactly yes. kept you so busy. It's been crazy, right? So It has been nonstop. Nonstop. So to that point, you've been very busy uh, with our next guest and your partner. Uh, she's also a co-founder and lead equity practitioner out of L.A., and uh, she's uh, got a nice little extensive resume as well that ranges from L.A. to the Bay Area to New York City, working in the respective fields of youth justice and restorative practices. I think that's what it says here, as well as uh, inclusivity and equity. 
Uh, she's a lifelong learner, a graduate of Columbia University, as well as the UC Berkeley Ethnic Studies. Okay, so this is Dina's partner, y'all. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Connie Chu. Miss Chu, are you there? Yes, I am. So excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, welcome on a board. Like I said, Dr. Dina has been here multiple times, so I can only imagine the comfort level you experience by embarking upon such an important project as the And Now Collective with Dr. Dina Scott. Connie, welcome aboard. So ladies, how in the world did you come together to do this? <laughs> Who first wants to share with the audience of Psychotic Bump School? What is the And Now Collective? Let's go first to Dr. Dina and then Connie. Dr. Dina, tell us how sure. this project came together and what it's all about. Well, I feel like there are so many layers to this project. I mean, first and foremost, I want to give credit to Connie for pushing this forward in a way to where we weren't just talking about doing, but we made it happen, and she definitely made it happen. Um, I think part of you know thinking about and now is really thinking about our our journeys um, when it comes to getting into both of our professions and the fact that our professions aren't just about the work, but really our hearts work. And we talk about this a lot. Um, we had the privilege of meeting five years ago um, when we were working together um, as senior administrators at an independent school. And immediately I was just drawn to Connie because of her extreme passion when it came to looking at everything in a very complex justice-orientated lens, um, because that was what drew me into the field of psychology. So for me, there's been so much of a kind of, I would say, karma that has kind of come back mm -hmm. to, hey, what do you feel like you need to do, Dina? What do you feel like really is going to push forward some of your heart's work? And so with mm -hmm. Anne now, I feel like Connie has actually helped me to like see everything come to fruition in a way that I'd hoped for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. So in so many, I, I would say she, she has a lot to contribute to this conversation, but for me, just as a clinical psychologist, I got into the field because of my own childhood trauma. And for me, I've seen so much of a need for healing when it comes to my community, um, the black community, and how it doesn't just connect to one family, but also a larger system. So everything that I do did in my journey to becoming a psychologist was really about connecting acting those pieces to a larger system. Um, and again, just five years ago, Connie and I met and the rest is history. How about that? Talk about seeking collective rising. Connie, uh, how well does that match your description about how all this came together? What was it like for you? It, I mean, if y'all could see me right now, I am smiling so big and cheesing because Dina- I can hear her smiling right now. <laughs> I can hear her smiling. <laughs> Dina has really just been a light for me. Even when we first met five years ago, I was in a new environment trying to push for equity and justice in a predominantly white institution. And so I know I spent a lot of time in Dina's office. We were both just kind of like, what is going on? Like, how can you make real change? And so, you know, Dina is someone that I look to and she sheds so much wisdom and light. Um, and I'm so grateful to be in this space with her. I, it's funny, I've been telling a lot of people as we have been sharing publicly about Anne now that it was half by accident and half by design. So Dina and I have always been in conversations about um, equity and justice in the space of healing, right? One cannot exist without, that, without the other. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And then once we started, you know, in the, um, in the last 
I would say probably like two months, Dina, we started yes. talking to different organizations, different individuals, different companies who were just like, we don't know how to heal. We don't know how to move forward with the racial injustice and racial violence that's happening. And mm -hmm. so Dean and I just, you know, dived in and we really grooved together and it really did feel like our heart's work was coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. um, and what's so exciting is that, and now I think the mission is so, so, so ambitious, right? Because what we're really trying to do is to manifest this concept of collectivism in a nation that is just so steeped in individualism, right? And to be able right. to do so, we, we all have to reckon with how race and racism has really structured our past, our present and our future systems, right? We have to reckon with how insidious, how, um, painful and frightening all of it is. And more importantly, we all have to heal, right? Especially as people of color, as Black, Latinx, Asian, Indigenous, um, multiracial communities, we have to heal, right? And so that's something that Dina and I have talked about five years ago, and we continue to talk about <laughs> now, and how it's so crucial to the equity and justice work. Isn't it amazing that um, what I have said frequently on this show, I'm a psychologist as well. And so I've said, Dina and Connie, that in many ways, I was kind of made for this moment because right. there has been so much of a need for people to heal, as Connie yeah. just said. It's may, you may not necessarily be able to access therapy in sort of a conventional sense of what we view therapy to be, mm -hmm. but in terms of being able to heal and to be able to better understand the social unrest that's happening in the country right now and talk about it in sort of a safe space sort of manner. So what can you ladies tell us? Let's start with Connie for this one. Um, tell us about some of the more recent events like the George Floyd protests, the pandemic, we're in the midst of a coronavirus right now. Uh, mm -hmm. What can you tell us in terms of specifics as to how you see uh, meeting this moment um, how has coronavirus, George Floyd protests about police brutality, how has it impacted the respective communities that you serve during the course of your work, Connie? And then I want to hear from Dr. Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a great question. Um, and I think what we really try to do at and now is really to center race and really center racialized experiences from communities of color. And as we know, with George Floyd, with COVID, with just even tracing it further back, there is systemic racism running as a through line across all of these different aspects, right? And so part of the end now where we're calling for a reckoning with race and racism to go hand in hand with healing, it's really thinking about racial trauma and racial hurt as rooted within a structure mm -hmm. um, where it's so much deeper than feelings of quote unquote being offended, right? Or being excluded. It's really about our rootedness in the history of this particular country and really examining the pattern of how and where the trauma comes from. And mm. so what we've been really mindful and conscious of doing is trying to interlock justice and healing by centering race and centering the experiences of people of color. Um, and one of the things that we've actually been doing to meet the community's needs and in um, the different spaces that we've uh, been able to support is helping people name racial trauma as a structure, right? So whether it's movement within Black Lives Matter, matter whether it's within the global pandemic, the, the trauma, the pain, the despair, the sadness, the anger, all of those emotions and those pain, right? They're emerging out of racial hurt and trauma, whether it's mm -hmm. direct violence, microaggressions, racial slur. Um, and so what we've been naming is that 
these emotions and these pain, they are inherited. They are intergenerational. They are unreckoned with, right? They're erased or minimized by our dominant culture and mainstream curriculum. They're ongoing and long lasting that as if, as if there isn't a sense of an escape or an ending that feels hopeful yet, right? So really naming that trauma as a structure as systemic, the way that racism is systemic. Um, and so that in some ways, just starting with that naming has really started to, at least for me, and I think Dina too, has given us hope for the window that we can create in helping both communities of color heal and push, but also for white communities or for people in power structures to really think about how um, to leverage the momentum that is happening right now to continue pushing. We do need to continue pushing. Uh, Dr. Dina, I'm coming to you in just a second, but before sure. I do, Connie, um, during this time, this, the, the leadership in this country has inappropriately ascribed the coronavirus to a part of the world, uh, Wuhan, China. And mm -hmm. so as a result, or you know, as a direct uh, aggregate of that, there's been increased violence and racism against Asian Americans. Um, are you able to articulate before I switch over to Dina ways in which uh, specifically Asian Americans have been impacted during this time? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a great question. Um, so Asian Americans, if we were to look at the formation of uh, the Asian American identity within this country, it's often in some ways gone under the radar where we are either hyper visible or we're um, completely invisible and erased. And I think um, with the, um, the xenophobia that has come out of coronavirus and our, you know, people in power um, conflating a lot of just racial slurs and the fear and othering, there has been an uptick and a rise in violence against Asian Americans wherever they may be across this country, right? Mm. Um, even within cities where Los Angeles may have the reputation of being more quote unquote diverse and more open and inclusive, right? Even here, we see, um, you know, Asian Americans just doing their normal daily activities and being harassed, right? Whether it's being called names, whether it's getting things thrown at them, whether it's getting beat up. Um, and what's been so fascinating to watch is how this has really converged with um, the anti-Black racism that has been happening in this country, particularly with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, because there's been comparisons between, well, if you know, like, if we're focusing on um, Black Lives Matter, does that take away from the harassment and violence directed towards Asian Americans? And what we've been really trying to push is to say that, no, like, all of this is connected, right? None of us are free until all of us are free. So I think that's something that we've been really trying to push, or I've been really pushing within the Asian American community is to really think about how things are connected, um, even if we're in different racial demographics and communities, and even if we're, you know, in the different parts of our nation. That's right, absolutely. Dr. Dina Scott. Sure. So I, you know, completely feel what Connie just shared and, you know, when thinking about even what you had mentioned, Brome, in terms of things being busier in, in some sense for mm -hmm. mental health professionals right now. Yeah. I think, you know, when thinking about the pandemic, when thinking about, you know, the continuation of racial injustice um, and the historical context, you know, of racial injustice within, you know, our country, 
there has been a lot of heaviness um, that I have personally felt around me um, from those that are clients, from those that are students, from those that are faculty and staff, administrators, from just, you know, colleagues from, I mean, people that I know personally. So I feel like there is this, this tension that folks are holding because there's a lot of fear. There's also a lot of rage that might also be expressed in different ways. And there's also a lot of pain um, that folks are feeling. And that could be a result of you know, the pandemic. It could be a result of what's going on um, connected to race. And so with all of those things, I think, happening and then also feeling a lack of control, because right now, you know, we're in a, you know, a position to where, you know, folks are kind of wondering, like, is it safe to do this? Is it not safe? Are people telling me misinformation to where it might be sort more safe than I really think it is? There's a lot of questioning that's going on. And I think that that's also bringing up some questioning for folks around our systems in general. So there's questions around, you know, the health and well-being, but also questions about our government, our systems, and how they've taken care or not taken care of certain groups of folks. So I feel like there's just a lot of, you know, reconciliation that's Mm -hmm. that's needed and required. Um, There's that much more healing that's also needed and required because the, the level of I feel like heaviness and intensity is mm-hmm. is so there. And even, you know, for folks right now who are navigating the pandemic, you look at, you know, the statistics and the communities it's hitting the hardest. And that also lends to communities of color, um, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, looking at some of the Black and Latinx communities, you know, in this country. And so there's just constantly, I think, this sense of feeling like I am carrying that weight. Um, and even myself and Connie have talked about, you know, for folks of color, when some of the different things were being shown on the media, such as George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, a variety of back-to-back incidents, there are, you know, at times, maybe white colleagues or counterparts who are calling on some of their their colleagues or friends of color to, you know, in, in some ways, try to see how they can help, but sometimes that feels burdensome too. Mm -hmm. So again, the heaviness continues to rise. Um, So as much as I can, I think just trying in any venue I can, you know, and now my personal life, you know, private practice to really have conversations with folks about ways to take off that weight um, Mm -hmm. in a healthy manner um, as well. What came up for me was just the need to focus right now because there's so many issues to dial into right now that it's very easy to become distracted. It's very easy to feel a sense of being overwhelmed about where to start, where do I dive into this fight? And the two of you have picked a particular type of focus because in Atlanta, just as one sad example, you guys just had Sequoia Turner out there, a little girl. Right. You know, and it's on and on. And uh, Connie, you know, pick up right there. Where do you see all this? Uh, What what do you think about what uh, Dina just said? Yeah, I, you know, I think that, I echo so much of what Dina is saying, and I think that in providing the racial equity lens is to really think about healing in context within systems, right? Because none of us, right, as individuals, organizations, companies, as communities or entire cities, right, none of us exist within a vacuum, right? We all exist within a system, um, and we know what the system is, right? The system has existed and continues to recreate itself so that it can continue existing. Um, And so I think part of what 
um, Dina shared, and I love that she opened with, you know, feelings are important and it's important to understand, see, hold, sit with, and we are not in any way trying to dismiss that because feelings are important. And um, what we are pushing for also is how do those feelings, how are those um, contextualized within the systems that we're operating? And so one thing that Dina and I have talked about um, is, and actually, we're, I think we we're talking about today, Dina, is this difference between self-care and community care, right? Mm -hmm. Where that right now is so much more important given the global pandemic, given racial injustice. It is not just about, you know, Connie, myself doing self-care. It is how am I participating in community care for my Asian American folks, for my people of color folks, for my um, black folks, right? For all the people that I am in community with, it's not just about me, but it's really about how we can lift each other up, knowing the um, and knowing and understanding the oppressive system, oppressive systems that we all exist within. Um, and something that's really interesting that Dina and I have talked about before we started and now is that um, there there's actually a field um, that studies this phenomenon of epigenetics and how mm -hmm. genes express themselves, right? And this big question of can a legacy of trauma be passed down through the generations within our bodies, right? right. We, wow. we know that legacies of trauma are passed down socially and culturally through the um the many stories and traditions within families and societies right but the question being asked is how are, are all of these connected to form a structure that contains our racialized experiences from generation to generation right and dina and i are not experts or researchers or scientists in this field but it is right. something that we're we it, re it really resonates with us right so we're doing a ton of self-learning um, and we're really curious about how this impacts the healing process for this community, right, whatever community we op we move in, and also as an entire nation, right, and Dina, I love that you use the word reconciliation, because I do think that's a huge part of Absolutely. the healing process that we're talking about, especially through an equity, um, racial equity lens. Oh, I've called it a rapturous reckoning that we're experiencing right yeah. now, and it's being right. felt and reverberating all over this country and all over the planet, really. So I have a question for both of you before we let you go. When, when I think about some of the rhetorical traps that are out there when it comes to people circling their cultural wagons, if you will, mm. how does the And Now Collective approach empathy, particularly when someone is sort of antithetical to the position that you hold, when, it, when people say BLM or Black Lives Matter sometimes, it's, it's a very polarizing uh, effect, meaning it's like, well, all lives matter, don't they? Um, how does the Anal Collective approach empathy? And you, we've been talking about it, so don't feel like you have to <laughs> reinvent what right. you've said already, because you've already answered this question, to be honest with you. But yeah. what I find challenging is having and finding a way to empathize with people who are not sympathetic to the cause of uh, why we're circling this particular wagon right now. Uh, empathy, as the Anal Collective sees it, how do you both approach empathy? Uh, can we have Connie on that first and then swing over to Dr. Scott? Yeah, sure. yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a really great question. And we get that a lot, I think, even outside and before of and now. Um, and I think Dina and I have had this conversation where empathy, empathy is a really interesting concept and act, right? Because I do think that there are limits to empathy um, where you have to really see yourself in another person to then feel like you are connected. Um, and the challenge that we are in right now is just that people just do not see themselves in each other, right? There is a sense of 
complete disconnect or divide between communities or even geographies who are not in proximity to each other, right? And um, someone, um, the uh, um, Brian Stevenson, who Dina and I both love, right? Oh, he yeah. is love. always about <laughs> love. He is always talking about being proximate and we aren't proximate as a nation. We aren't proximate as a community. We aren't proximate as individuals. And that is where empathy is hitting a wall, right? If we're not proximate with each other and it doesn't always have to be physical proximation or physical proximity, even emotional proximity or social proximity, right? We, until we can get proximate and really understand each other and everything that we stand, everything that we stand for and represent, empathy becomes a, um, and, and in my, it, the way I see it, the empathy becomes kind of like an empty word where we mm -hmm. grow as a buzzword, right? And so the way that Anne now approaches this gap is to really focus on identity because everyone has an identity, mm -hmm. right? Just like how everyone has a race, right? White people have a race. Like we forget this, but white people have a race. Um, yes. Everyone has their story. Everyone has the journey of, you know, how their identities formed, whether they know it or not, right? So part mm -hmm. of that now is really pulling out their identity, right? What do they feel affirmed about in their identity? Where are their tensions in their identity? Where are their places that they're scared of because of, mm -hmm. you know, what their identity represents in the world? And so a lot of our work in the and now space is about identity development, which mm. As far as I've known, it's a pretty big shift because we do identity development in some progressive schools where we do it with children, but I haven't actually seen grown adults do identity development work within companies or organizations, right? Because we tend to just be like, eh, identity, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. But actually identity is core to everything that we find meaning and create meaning in. So a lot of our work is really focusing on that and leading with race, right? And not to be colorblind, but being really color brave and knowing that this, you know, work around identity is messy because as humans, we are messy, right? And really embracing that yeah. um, and finding the connections that we can within how um, different our journeys and our experiences are and there's beauty in that right there's so much beauty in that and so much resiliency and we're really helping people co-discover that um and co-create meaning together oh absolutely dr dina scott sure i mean i think you know when thinking about empathy and just when thinking about what connie just shared in terms of just the the need to center ourselves around identity and identity development for me i think one of the things that we've also pushed when we've started this work, when we've been doing this work with some of the folks, um, actually even right now, is to talk about there might be this, this desire that folks have to become empathetic, to you know, have a lens of empathy, but more than anything, we want to make sure that folks are not creating barriers to equity, inclusion, and justice, that folks are not causing pain um, to others that are around them, um, that you know, we're able to figure out ways to understand self and understand others more. And so I think when I you know, hear you know, Connie speak and I think about our work, you know, it is so, so important for folks to learn identity in relationship to history and to learn identity into relationship to our own personal stories. And so as much as we can do that, that can create those connections that then can create some of that empathetic lens that we're hoping for. But more than anything, we want to make sure that those barriers and that that pain is not happening. 
So mm. how can we help to stop that? Absolutely. Wow. We have our work cut out for us. I mean, we're talking about reopening schools and wearing masks. Yep. All yep. of those topics and discussions are very, very toxic right now. And it is challenging for people to see the, the validity of someone else's positions. And uh, that's why I was curious to see where both of y'all stood on that. They call themselves the And Now Collective. Connie Chu and Dr. Dina Scott, what is the best way for people to get in touch with the both of you and find the work of the And Now Collective? Yeah, I, I think we are building as we go, but the best way right now is actually to visit our website, um, which is and-now-collective.com. Um, and we hope that you know people take the time to explore our website, get to know us, our stories, our mission, um, and hope that you've been in conversation with us just by visiting our website. And we really look forward to hearing from you all. Oh, you will definitely be hearing from us again. Uh, that's Connie Chu, lead equity practitioner and co-founder of the And Now Collective. And we also heard from the inimitable Dr. Dina Scott, clinical psychotherapist, as well as co-founder of the And Now Collective. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Romo, and I thank you for joining us this evening. Check back with us. We shall return next week. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also want to thank our very special guests for the evening, Kat Brooks, Jeffrey Keller, Lori Peacock, Connie Chu, and of course, Dr. Dina Scott. I also want to send a shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.